1: mailbag time ryan we do have some questions if you have some more you want to get those in get those questions in now we do have a few mailbag questions that we're going to get to and we have a couple super chats i want to get to where we have one for sure we had another one that just popped up ryan that i did not that i did not star so if you could go try to find I'm that one uh, yeah. but i we've got one from alberto and he says woohoo caught you guys live i b is the best alberto it's getting kind of late for you isn't it alberto is our uh our brother from Spain. He's one of our our members from from overseas. So it's a little bit later for you. So we are very glad that you were able to uh, to catch us, buddy. We appreciate that very very much, and thank you for the super chat. We also have a uh, Notre Dame two one six four. He's one of the OGs to this uh, to this page. This question: Do you guys think that anything is being said to Drew Pine about how he how hot he throws the ball on short routes? He did it last year, and he's still doing it this year. Thoughts? Well, I think you kind of answered your own question. Ryan, you or no, a, a, a friend of mine, one of the members of the of the board, uh, Cham Joe and I have talked about this. And we've seen this a lot. Ian Book had a little bit of this problem. Uh, Jack Cohn had a little bit of this problem at times last year. And now we see it the same with with Drew Pine. So I do wonder, Ryan, if it's something that they're being told, because you will see Drew throw a little bit hot on some of the short stuff. And he and even some of the deep stuff, he doesn't put the ball up and get it down enough. Uh, Mm -hmm. In my opinion, he put his deep balls. A lot of times have too much, too much speed, you know, and that's why he's overshooting guys instead of dropping it down on him. When he, when he did that to Jaden Thomas, it was beautiful. Got over top, but then the Michael Mayer throw, he throws a little bit too much gas, doesn't let Mayer run underneath it and he's not able to get there. So uh, thoughts on this Ryan. Cause I, I honestly don't know if anything is being said one way or the other. And, Mm -hmm. but based on the play, as you said, if it's, if it's being said, it's not being received for whatever reason.
2: I think that partly too, Brian, like that type of issue, like changing arm speeds and throwing with arc and taking some velocity off. Sometimes that's like a really natural thing, right? Like sometimes quarterbacks just have that innate ability, but you can definitely improve on it. There's no question. I, I question or I wonder with Drew at times, if it's the, and we've talked about this before of like some of the struggles in some of these games early, especially, is like is he too much? Is he too amped up? Right? Like is he just kind of too too much going on in his mind and not you know not really f- thinking about the finer parts of playing the position? I, I don't know. I mean to the question Notre Dame twenty one sixty four. Like I, I don't know if that is something that is coming naturally to him. I don't know if it's something that's being reiterated from the coaching staff that he needs to improve upon. I think that there's a lot of different variate variables that could be a part of it. Like I said, like the being amped up too much, attention to detail, lacking it thereof. I am I, not really sure, Brian. I mean, I think there could be a couple different reasons, but I agree that it is an issue, though. It is definitely an issue.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a
2: tackle, a run, it's only for the fans, after all, it's only pressure. You got this, Adidas.
1: Let's get to the next question from the history expert. Over Ooh. under seven and a half on the number of Texas A&M players to enter the port the transfer portal at season's end. Ryan, over. I'm going over as well. Over. Yes. Over. And I think it can be over by quite a bit. Yes. Quite a bit. This is what happens when you buy players and you don't have success. Yes. But they're not going to want to be I... there because they only picked you. And you're going to have some kids enter the portal because they have to. Yeah. Right? Because you know, some kids that get in trouble that they're going to have to know the poor. So I'd be shocked if it's not over.
2: Yep. I, I agree completely there. I mean, just from things that I'm hearing already, some are expecting, I don't call it a mass exodus, because I don't know what the number is exactly going to be, but I think there is going to be a substantial movement on that roster. I've heard a couple other teams that I think there's going to be a substantial movement on the roster. I mean, we're in the time now where with NIL stuff and transfer portal, you know, he's making it so easy now to go from one team to the other. Like, I think that numbers are going to just keep going up. I mean, we were talking about Notre Dame, you know, like let's see what happens with Notre Dame. Are there going to be a couple losses from that part of no, just Notre Dame's roster as well? I, I think that every team is in, in going to prepare themselves for somewhat of an exodus at times. Cause I just think it's so much easier now for players to leave. And especially when Texas and M when you're, three and seven when you're buying players when you're not having success I think it's easy for players to leave so I would Mm -hmm. definitely take the over on the seven and a half no doubt absolutely
1: Leighton Burkholder with a question I know this was asked the other day but what are your thoughts on Tommy Reese and Al Golden's press conferences I didn't I watched him and I was really expecting something different based on what people were telling me and I I didn't see anything in there like I saw someone that said uh you know, did Tom Maurice take a shot at Marcus Freeman because he didn't like somebody asked, like, his senior day under Marcus Freeman any different? And he was just like, you know, right now our focus is on the game. Well, yeah, that's ex- he said exactly well, he what he should have said. Like, you know, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, it's only Tuesday, but this has been the best senior week we've ever had. And, you know, it's like, I, you know, like, okay. I mean, I get why the question was asked. It was a, it was from a TV reporter, and they, they have to ask much different questions than we have to ask. It's just the nature of, of, of the, of the type of product. So I was fine with the question, and I thought Coach Reese's answer was good. Hey, look, you know, like right now we're focused on just getting ready to go out there and play play well, and and I thought he said – I th- I think he said what similar to what Coach Freeman said, is the best way uh, to, you know, remember your senior day is to win. Yes. Amen, right? Like, amen. I was totally fine with the answer. I, I didn't really have any issues with him, you know, listening to him, and I didn't, like, sit there and, like, stare and listen to, like, every single word, but, like, I had him kind of on. I was listening to him. I didn't say anything different, you know, and I, and I think coach Gold made a good point that you know, he said the biggest challenge for triple options, not the week going in, it's the week coming out of it. And I thought he Very talked true. about that. It was like one of the first things he said, and he talked about how that's why he was proud of how well they played and, you know, or practiced that day and all that kind of stuff. So I, I didn't, I didn't really have any issue with either one of their comments to be honest with you. I mean, it's just, it's a lot of the same old stuff that we hear every week. It wasn't anything yeah. really new or problematic for me. It's just,
2: I, I think it's just I think it's a little bit of nitpicking for nitpicking sake at, to, at times, right? Like you need something to talk about. I mean, mm-hmm. just judging based upon a couple of those comments, I I would be curious like what would what did people want Tommy Reese to say? You know, like what did they want him to say in that situation? Isn't it all about winning, right? Isn't it all about going out there and just, you know, perfecting the process i i i didn't see anything i didn't have any issue with it either i there are definitely some things during these press conferences that we have talked about that are troubling comments but i i don't think that this is one of them i think it's just hyper focusing too much on something that doesn't need to be talked about yep next
1: question from um milton fan 815 what mistakes, problems on offense have been consistent with little to no improvement over the course of the season? Uh, it's pass game. I mean, just to me, it's it's the inability to just find simple things that you can kind of go to with some kind of regularity in the pass game, and yeah. and just really not being willing to do some of the things that are just there that are you know in, in little simple fixes. We started to see some of it last week and. You know, we've talked about this on this show for a couple weeks going in, which is if you have a short quarterback that's having trouble seeing over pressure or seeing over the line, have him get more depth. I mean, we've Mm -hmm. seen teams, Ryan, with short quarterbacks, put their quarterback at like six yards in the past in shotgun. And in that way, he's getting an extra couple yards back when, and then have a really big first uh, reach step when he gets the shotgun snap. You know, a lot of times Drew Pine is throwing the ball from where he catches it. He'll do a three-step, and then when he gets – he'll take these big gather steps – and then be right back at the five yards, and then by that point in time, the pressure's there. Well, look, the offensive line is giving ground and pass blocking. They're giving ground initially. So if you stand where you caught the ball and they're giving ground and you're right there, guess what? They're going to be in your face a lot f- sooner than they should. You know, yeah. So work on that, and we saw it early last week. And 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 you know, and then if you are going to do the quick three-step drop, it's got to be quick stuff. Get the ball out quickly, a quick slide route, a quick go route, just something where you're getting that ball out quickly. Which slows down the pass rush. And those are things that, that we need to see. And 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 that we just haven't really seen adjustments. It's always trying to scheme it. Like, hey, you got to go through this full read and go through this full read. And sometimes it's like, dude, just get him out of the pocket, let him throw on the run early a little bit, run some bootlegs where he can scramble or get the ball out, you know, try mm-hmm. to find some pots, you know, some different things like that, and be willing to take some shots outside. I mean, this team's utter unwillingness to throw the ball down the field outside is is mind-boggling because it's there every single week and when they do they're asking drew to drew to do it off of like a normal drop gather read like the throw to brayden lindsey he, he's not making that throw off of the deep drop that he did hit your third step plant and throw the ball out there just get it mm-hmm. out there as far as you can and let Braden run underneath it or or throw it right at dion or tobias and let them go up and get it doesn't require a read it doesn't require a gather hit your drop and throw with and throw with rhythm Do that, and all of a sudden, you're taking some of those shots, and you'll hit some, you know, and you'll get some of those chunk plays that you need to take some of the pressure off, Ryan. So those are the things for me that you just see week after week after week. Other things are not as consistent. Some weeks I love the offensive game plan run game-wise, and other weeks it's like, good God, they're just like either – It's just I don't understand it. But the consistency is just the unwillingness to try to do some of the simple stuff, which also includes RPOs in the pass game.
2: Well, I think that there is a lack of consistency in trusting diversity offensively too. I mean, we've talked about the run game. Like, has there been times where Notre Dame has done more than just run duo? For sure. There's been some inside zone. There's been sparsely, but there's been some outside zone mixed in. Like we've seen it at times this year, but it just hasn't been enough diversity consistency. And and when I feel like at times this year offensively, when this team has had Moments where things have worked, like we talk about the 21 personnel a ton, then they just completely go away from it. It's just like no trust in the diversity for whatever reason. And I also think that there is a, we talk about this a lot, right? I don't want this team to be a no huddle team that's like, you know, just pushing the tempo all the time. But I do think there's a lack of changing of tempo offensively. Like I don't, I don't think that they do that enough where I think there is a push to, Find the perfect play all the time. We talked about the scan a ton this offseason. I think there's times where you need to push the tempo. I think there's times where you need to pull it back a little bit. I think there's time where you need to be somewhere in between. And I think one inconsistency for Notre Dame is that I just don't think there's a lot of different levels of tempo in this offense at all.
1: Yeah. Game they did mix the tempo up a little bit was Clemson. And worked pretty well. It works. We have a super chat down here from uh, Morier Invictus. Thank you for the super chat, very much. Nineteen eighty-eight. I love that. uh, I love that because obviously that's the last time Notre Dame's won a national title. Thanks for all the content and insight, fellas. You've quickly taken over the title of the foremost authority on Notre Dame football. I appreciate that very, very much. And when you consider the people that are still out there covering Notre Dame football, for some people to think that we are that it is quite an honor. And we are humbled that you have, uh, that you feel that way. And we appreciate it. And we work our butts off every single day. We power through sickness and all those other types of things, uh, to be here to, to provide you with the best, uh, we can as often as we can. So I really, really appreciate that very much. And I also appreciate the fact that you're willing to give us financial support as well. We do appreciate that very, very much. Uh, we had this question already from Irish Shy town well, Here's the one from David Lowe. I saw an interesting question the other day. Would y'all have rather beat Clemson and UNC, uh, North Carolina, and lose to Marshall and Stanford or vice versa? We actually, um, David, we actually got asked this a week or two ago, and it's a very mm-hmm. good question, Ryan. And for me, my answer was I would have rather beat Clemson in North Carolina because that way Notre Dame can yes. prove that we can win the big games. And so yeah. you're, if you're going to sit here at 7-3 – I'd rather be sitting here at seven and three with those mind like hair pulling games. You're like, dude, I know we're not losing to Marshall and Stanford next year, or they're not going to lose to Marshall and Stanford next year. But hey, we Mm -hmm. prove that we can beat those teams. I'd much rather be there than kind of seven and three and sitting there like, well, same thing we've always been. They can beat the teams they're supposed to, but they can't beat
2: the good team. So it's like, what's changed? That's that's the key. That's the key is if you can beat the Clemson and North Carolina, even if you have the stinky losses of Marshall and Stanford, you still know you can beat those teams, right? But if you can beat but if you beat Marshall and Stanford and you lose to Clemson, North Carolina, there's no proof that you can beat those teams, right? Like there's right. no proof. If you can beat Clemson and North Carolina, you can beat pr- well, if you can beat Clemson, especially, there's pretty much a guarantee that you can compete or beat almost any team that you're going to play nationally, right? So that I think that evidence shows that Notre Dame has that talent potential, has that ability to win those types of football games. Which, again, first year head coach, it's not, it's not an excuse because you can't ever lose to Marshall and Stanford. Like I, one hundred percent. But at right. least there is evidence that you can win every football game on your schedule moving forward. I think that 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 is something that the staff has shown me that you can on any given week compete and beat any football team that they're going to throw on their schedule right now. And it's incredibly important and a change. David Lowe also asks,
1: "Do y'all think we can beat USC run heavy?" There's no doubt. I mean, that's who Notre Dame is, right? <laughs> Notre Dame can beat mm-hmm. anyone as a run heavy team. When we talk about the adjustments and the changes they need to make. They are not changes, Ryan, where Notre Dame – we're saying Notre Dame needs to come out and they need to throw it 40 times and they empty. need to – No, no, <laughs> yeah. I'm not yeah. saying that. Uh, what I'm saying is be who you are, right? Be who mm-hmm. you are. Be a physical O-line running back tight end dominated team. But you've got to complement that to truly yes. beat the best teams on your schedule. If Notre Dame's not run heavy against USC, I don't think they can win. I think the mm-hmm. only way to beat USC is to be run heavy but you have to be able to complement that run heaviness and a perfect example is Ryan. You know again I, I'm going to I'm going to always kind of pull this out as the as as one of the the several examples. We saw this a little bit against Clemson but not as much as we need to. But I I point to the 2017 season as as perfect examples of this. Notre Dame was an incredibly run heavy football team that year. But what they did was in a lot of the games they got enough out of the pass game that people said you you've got to respect that. You've I mean, look, Michigan State, for example, they go on the road, they play a Michigan State team that won 10 games that year. They won 38 to 18 in a game that wasn't that close. They ran for 182 yards against a team that finished that year, ranked second in the country in rush defense. And they got that 182 yards, a big part with most of the game being with your third and at times your fourth string running back. Because if you remember, going into that game, Tony Jones Jr. got hurt the week before against Boston College. Josh Adams got knocked out in the first half. Dexter Williams carried the ball a few times, caught a touchdown pass. Then he gets knocked out. And you're playing most of the second half with Deion McIntosh as your lead back. And you still went for a buck 82 against the number two rush defense in the country. Well, what helped him in that game, Ryan? Early in the game, Brandon Wimbush hit a couple shots down the field. On the first drive of the game, he hits a post route to equanimity St. Brown. And then later in the game, he hits a bat. He hits an, a back shoulder outside throw to chase Claypool once. And then there was another play on third and 10, where he hit Derm Smythe right over the seam to set up a, another score. I mean, he, he went 14 of 20. He only threw 20 passes, but it was an, and he only threw for 173 yards. But what he did was early on, he showed right away. First drive. If you don't play us, we'll throw the ball and we'll hurt you with it, right? Another example is about th- a month later, they're playing USC and USC was geared to stop the run. Brandon Wimbush went nine of 22 in that game. Actually, hold on a second. I think, did he go nine of 22 or did the backup throw the ball too? He went nine of 19. As a team, they went nine of 22 because Ian Book came in the game uh, at the at, like in mop-up time and went oh of two. And then they had, uh, I think they brought in, I think Cole – didn't Cole Komet throw a pass that game? I think Cole Komet threw a pass that game. Give me a second. Nope, that wasn't that game. I'm trying to think where else they had the other pass from. So, anyway, Brandon Wimbush goes 9 of 20, 9 of 19 for 120 yards that game. But what happened – what made the pass game so effective that week, Ryan? First touch – second series of the game. Their name goes three and out. I think first series, Brandon Wimbush hits Josh Adams and he drops a screen pass that would have gone if you remember that. Mm-hmm. They come yeah. out the next series – they run a reverse, they get USC thinking to Kevin Stefferson, and he bangs a post route to EQ for a touchdown. They get the ball back again, they go down the field, and he hits a back shoulder outside throw to Kevin Stefferson. Once they hit those two downfield shots early, USC had there's nothing USC could do to stop Notre Dame that day. Nothing. Again, kid went 9 of 19 for 120 yards. Next week against NC State, they're playing a team that every single starter that they had on the front four was drafted in the fourth round or higher, including Bradley Chubb, who was the number five overall pick. They're starting Mike linebacker, Jermaine Pratt. If that name sounds familiar to you, it's because if you if you watch the Bengals, you know who that is. If you only watch the Super Bowl, you still know who that is because he's starting middle linebacker for the Cincinnati Bengals last year and this year, I believe, unless he's been hurt. Yeah. I don't know if he has or hasn't. I don't really watch a, a whole lot of NFL. That, that team, they ran all over. Brandon Wimbush, that game, went um, – 10 of 19 for 104 yards, two touchdowns. But you know what he did early? He had a really nice back se- backs, uh backside seam throw to, D- to Durham Smythe that softened US, softened them up. And he took a couple shots, didn't even hit some of those shots, but they knew, man, we gotta, we gotta try to do this. And they tried to do what Clemson did this year, which is they thought they were good enough in the front seven to just line up and play their game. And they weren't. You know, and so you don't have to throw the ball a million times. You just have to show that there's a level of success that we can have if you don't defend us. And like looking at it from the, from the coaching standpoint, if you don't respect us, we're going to hurt you. What was the first play of the game that Notre Dame ran that year, Ryan? Do you remember the very first play that Notre Dame ran from scra- from scrimmage that season against Temple? So play-action yeah. pass, deep shot to Equinemius-St. Brown for a big game. For a big game. First play of the game. Everybody knew they were going to be a running football team. First play of the game, they took a play action shot downfield to EQ for a big play, and so it, it, you got to be able to set that tone for if you if you're gonna do this, we're gonna make you pay. And Chip Long was really good about that, and Coach Reese has gotta gotta get that out that stubbornness out of his system. Like we're not saying don't be a great running team, we're saying protect your great running ability with just some stuff to say what can now. Drew Pine is not Brandon Wimbush. They're different players, but you got to find what he's really good at, and you've got to get some of those throws made during the game, and then you've got to find a couple things that maybe he's not good at and then get him going on those things, which, again, three-step drop, throw a fade. If Drew Pine can't take a three-step drop and throw a fade route or throw a go route, then you've got much bigger problems, right, mm-hmm. And and yeah, coaching problems and all that kind of stuff. So my point is there's stuff you can do, stuff you need to do to protect the run game, Ryan. And That's all we're advocating for. We're not saying, yep. like you said, you're not saying, "Hey, turn into Oregon 2010 and run tempo." We're not saying that. But is it a tool to your advantage to sometimes say, "Hey, you know, we're going to push it a little bit this series. We're going to go fast. We're going to we're going to we're going to do this. We're going to throw some RPOs. We're going to run right at you and get you on your heels." Because if a great running team can get the defense on their heels, they're going to have success. And Notre yep. Dame doesn't—they really, make it harder for their their offensive line. To really go out there week after week and dominate because they just don't do things to protect them, which speaks volumes about how good this line has been, that they've still been able to thrive in that type of world. Mm -hmm. Next question is from the history expert, Brian and Ryan. If y'all had to choose, would you take a bye week before a triple option team or a bye week afterwards? Let's say Roberts.
2: Afterwards. I mean, you, you just talked about it when Al Golden had his press conference, right? That the Week after the triple option is even more important than the week leading up to the triple option, right? You have to kind of deprogram a little bit. You do, and it's it's hard to get back because you're just so. I mean, your assi- assignment is a big thing in defensive football, just in general. But in in again, we're going to get the triple option team. You are just ingrained so much. This is my assignment. This is my assignment. This is my assignment. Stay true to the assignment, and then deprogramming that and getting back to seeing more pro style or spread teams that are not, you know, you you can be a little looser with your ability to, you know, kind of attack a game. I think that after a football game, it's nice to just kind of deprogram that and be like, all right, guys, that was a weird week. We knew it was going to be a weird week. Let's get back and let's really comb back into style of defense. We want to play because you just can't, you can't do exactly what you want to do defensively against a triple option team. Like they, they just force you to be, difference for a week so definitely deep programming after a week i would say against a triple option yep absolutely caleb collins is a bold prediction ryan i
1: would love it if this came true chris yeah. tyree has three touchdowns one receiving one rush and one
2: return game of his career i would love that let's hope well, I mean, especially with what well, he's man. been dealing with i mean he hasn't been utilized very very well for a large portion of the season and barely at all in recent weeks mm-hmm. right so it would be awesome for him just to get back into yep. that type of groove
1: Quick one from John Long. He says, just got my tickets to go watch Lakota West take on Moeller Ooh. tomorrow. What is the recruit for Moeller's name? So obviously Lakota West has Ben Minich, who yep. is a 2023 uh commit. The number, the 24 kid is a also in their name commit. It's Carson Hobbs. He is yes. a 2024 cornerback. So Carson Hobbs, I believe he's number four, right, Ryan? Mm-hmm. His jersey number isn't he number four? Yeah. So yeah, so. yeah Carson Hobbs is who you'll be who you'll be watching. Yep. Go ahead, Ryan. They have is a good running back too in the 2024 class.
2: They do. I, I was actually yeah. trying to remember his name. Cause I was thinking like, you could Marshall, also isn't out, it? Like Jordan Marshall or something like that. I forget what his name sounds, is. Sounds um, correct.
1: Yeah. Sounds correct. I'm going to look this up now. Cause man, you know how this stuff is. As soon as they're talking about something, I, know. I don't know the answer know. for a fact. It's going to bother me. So I'm just going to look it up real quick and see if it's, if it's on here, real quick. So it is. Let's find their running back's name because otherwise, I won't be able to focus on anything else. Jordan Marshall. Yeah, got it right. See, just need good to job. trust myself sometimes, right? You well, do, I saw him. He was invasion this summer. He looked pretty good. He's a good football player. Nice. He, looked, he, he, not quite as he's good as good. as Aeneas Williams, but he was one of the better the better athletes at the camp. You say no he's doubt. a twenty four kid, right? He's a twenty four kid. Pretty sure. Pretty yeah. sure. Yeah, he's a junior. Gotcha. About six foot, one ninety or so. Yeah. It's sure. a good football player. Brian Hockney with a question. What is your take on linemen that wrestled at an elite level in high school? I think it gives them a huge advantage. Ryan, you're the scouting guy. So what are your thoughts? Cause you know, my stance on this.
2: Yes. I, I mean, for the for a while there, Iowa has been one of the better offensive line producers in college football as well. You know, up there with the Notre Dame's of the world and Iowa, it was for a while, it was a prerequisite that you needed to wrestle. You needed to have a wrestling background I think that there's a lot of things that wrestling gives to linemen that's incredibly important. One is being able to have a low center of gravity, right? Maintaining good bend in your knees and your hips and being able to play low, which is fantastic. You also have the quick feet, quick hands. Hand fighting is a big thing, not only in wrestling, but also in football. So I think we were talking about hand quickness, foot quickness, and the ability to play with bends. All those things parlay to being a good offensive lineman. So, Brian, I am 100%. I want my lineman to wrestle. I also would love them to throw shot put because that's where the core strength thing kind of comes from as well. So I'm a big advocate of multi-sport athletes just in general.
1: Yep. And I think wrestling there's, I think playing multiple sports is great for young people. There's a lot of evidence that it's good for their bodies. It's good for their minds. It's good for them socially that they play sports year round. I, I see no real disadvantages to it in my opinion other than increased risk of injury but if they're going to be playing anyway if they're not playing for a sport they're going to be out there playing you know on concrete with their friends and stuff like we did right when i i didn't play basketball in high school right so what did i do when basketball season was a play found some rec league to play for i was out in the neighborhood playing with my friends i was still playing basketball you know mm-hmm. so i see positives to it but it's even better when you're playing sports that there's some kind of practical application or improvement to what the sport, your primary sport. So I love kids, that you know, athletes that run track. You know, yes. I love, I, you know, there's certain, certain kids, you know, like Nolan Ziegler playing lacrosse in the spring was great. Cause he's agility and speed and strength and mm-hmm. technique and a hand eye coordination, all going to help you be a better football player. You know, there's positives to kids being baseball players. Again, foot agility footwork conditioning hand-eye coordination all positives basketball same way soccer if a kid's a soccer player some states they have soccer in the spring kids playing soccer great conditioning is going to be great hand eye coordination change of direction all of that you know and so I think wrestling for linemen is the most there's two sports I love to hear that an offensive lineman has played they're both winter sports I believe Uh, wrestling may be a fall sport but I thought it was a winter sport wrestling basketball and wrestling I love big men that play basketball, and I love big men. And they're not just guys that go out there and foul. Like Tommy Kramer played basketball and he had one job, got there and hammer people. You know, but like guys that actually have some level of like, hey, he's on the basketball team and he doesn't score a lot of points, but he's up, running up on the court. He shows good footwork. He gets rebounds. He positions, box outs, all that. And then, of course, I love linemen that wrestle. I think there's so much practicality uh, from, you know, leverage, right? exploding with your hips. You got to be good with your hands. You know, there's a conditioning level to wrestling that you have to have. All of those things are vitally important and they translate very well to that specific position. I don't like when skill players wrestle. I don't (laughs) because I think my personal thing, uh, some kids have smaller body types and it's perfectly fine, but I don't like it when kids spend all their time trying to make sure they keep 10 to 15 pounds off of their bodies right and so that's that's my only concern and i just think there's some there's not a lot that translates to a wide receiver for me wrestling maybe running back and linebacker maybe but o-line d-line definitely there's a lot of advantages to it in my opinion right yep. so brian hockney asks how many kids do we take in 2023 right now i think 27 is the max mm-hmm. they've got 23 now They are hoping to get a quarterback in the class. They're still trying to get uh, Caleb Smith, at wide receiver. That would get them to 25. They would also like to land Chris uh, Tarek, the offensive lineman from Illinois, who's currently committed to Wisconsin. Ryan has an update on him on the message board about the latest with him, so you'll definitely want to check that out. Caleb Smith, we had an update on our board yesterday. We dropped a big intel piece yesterday on the message board for those who are not members, a big recruiting intel piece with a lot of different stuff, which then led to a lot of other conversations about some recruiting intel that was on the board. So there's a lot of good recruiting nuggets on the message board yesterday if you're not a member. And if you are a member and you haven't been on the last couple of days, get on there. You're missing out. So uh, we have that. but uh, And then, of course, it's at that point in time, if they get K- if they get Caleb Smith, if they get Kenny Minchie, if they get Chris Tarek, and this is hi- hypothetical. I'm not saying they're going to get those kids. I gave my opinion on – whether they're going to get those kids on the, in the intel piece tomorrow. Then it comes down to one of uh, Brandon Hillman or Khalil Barnes, one yeah. of those two. Now, there are some that are trying to push to take all of them because there's an anticipation that there's going to be some some natural exodus from the roster this year that could allow them to get up to 28. The problem is, is if you go to 28, now th- that's one fewer guy you can take in the portal. And I know that there's some positions they're looking for in the portal as well, so... I think Notre Dame will have around 30 newcomers next year, Ryan, when you look at high (laughs) school plus portal. Uh, So that's going to be key. And I'm going to go down and take another question because I know what you're going to start talking about, but I think there's another question I want to get to, Ryan, that will allow you to transition into that. Yeah. Uh, 99 problems of BK1 says, with the evolution of the transfer portal, do you think Notre Dame needs to over-recruit every season, anticipating increased transfers year in and year out? And if yes – how do you make sure they don't end up with a roster issue where they can't get down to 85 without effectively forcing players to leave?
2: Well, I mean, look, it's, it's not any problems. The 85 number, it's always going to be, you're always going to have to get a little creative every year, right? Like every offseason is not going to look the same. There's going to be some years where you're expecting this number of players off the roster, and then it becomes this number, or you're expecting a larger number and it becomes a little smaller than you were originally anticipating. Like those things always going to happen. So you have to be, I mean, diligent with just understanding what the numbers are and crunching them continuously. Right. That's why the number, even this year might go from 27 to 28, depending on how things shake out. Like it's very possible that it happens. I would say this, I think to a degree, I, I agree with this, right? Like I would, I think I would always overestimate a little bit from the high school side of things, but to Brian's point, and it's a great point. If you do take too many, and you want a a position that you need more of an immediate fix or an immediate Mm -hmm. contributor, then you're sacrificing that number in the portal. So I think yes, to a degree, I do think that you're going to overestimate on the high school recruiting side of things, but I also think you need to have a little foresight to say, Hey, next year hypothetical. And I I know Notre Dame's also kind of thinking this a little bit, like we might need a defensive end that can come in and can give us some legitimate minutes early Mm -hmm. on. Like that's a position that we may need quarterback. Is another one that we might need a little bit of a boost right. early on, so we don't want to sacrifice that one for that. You know that that right. N- n- you don't want to, you don't want to sacrifice the number in order yep. to get an immediate contributor, so it has to work together. Yep. I think it's just constant evaluation throughout. Right,
1: because you said immediate contributor, right? So that comes down mm-hmm. to let's say hypothetically Notre Dame didn't lose Keon Keeley, then there's really no need to go get a portal guy, a viper, because you've got a kid that can come in and play right now, along with Josh right. Burnham and you know and uh Gaden Gobira. Hopefully, you get. You know Justin Anamiola to come back. That's the other thing is if you over recruit, sometimes it means you can't bring back fifth years that you would otherwise yes. have wanted to bring back as well. It, it's also yep. a factor into it as well. You know, so it, whereas then you look at quarterback, yes, you're about to get a, a a you know really good quarterback. You think, but is he a guy that steps in day one like a Trevor Lawrence? No. So the portal need is still there. So it's going to depend right. on position to position. Like, had Notre Dame not lost so many of their receivers, they wouldn't need to go to the portal with the rec- freshman class they're bringing in. It just speaks volumes mm-hmm. to how bad the of the situation the, that Dell Alexander left his team in, that they're going to sign four receivers and hopefully try to get five and still need to go to portal route, portal route just to <sighs> make sure that their depth is where it needs to be and their roster is where it needs to be. It's just, it's just absurd. But anyway, uh, we'll see. But yes, you do need to over-recruit in today's era. Plus, the thing that helps Notre Dame out a lot is so many more kids are graduating in three years now. And yeah. so you're going to see more and more Notre Dame kids graduating in three years, they're not where they want to be on the depth chart. So they leave and get, you know, like a Jack Lamb is an example, right? Jordan Jen Markeith, uh, DJ Morgan. Those are all guys that left after three years, but it doesn't hurt Notre Dame's graduation rate because those kids left with degrees. Right. And that's a that's a really big part of it. You know, I think I think Drew Pine will be on track to graduate in at the end of the year, like right? as an example, right? So, you know, Drew is either A, gonna stay at Notre Dame and be a graduate, which means he's gonna have less academic work on his plate, or B, uh, he's going to be able to transfer with his degree. There's all those things that factor into it. Right. And yep. so Jacob Lace, Lacey is, is, is a, is a kid, you know, that, that that's going to, that there's going to be situations like that where, where kids are going to do that. And it is, I mean, it, it, it's better for you because it's easier to, I don't say force a kid out, but it's easier to convince a kid that maybe going somewhere else is best for you uh, right. because he's got his degree. You're, you'd get in trouble at Notre Dame if you were forcing kids out that didn't have their degrees yet. You'd, you'd get in some trouble if that was a consistent thing. It's not that you're forcing some guys out, just being honest. Hey, look, man, just letting you know, you're not going to be that. – you're not going to – your playing time's not going to change next year. Right. You know, I mean, that's just the reality of it. And that's being honest, and you know that that honesty might convince that kid to leave. And so he's better for it, you're better for it, and that's part of the deal, and I, I have no problem with that. What's What I don't like is a kid wants to come back – He's done nothing wrong. He's done everything right. And you say, you can't come back just because you know we over-recruited. Uh, that, that would bother me. That would bother mm-hmm. me. That's not right. That's not right. Ray Hol- Holcraft says, Brian uh, BD, I really appreciate how you talk about well, what Notre Dame needs to do better for a final run, process-oriented over results-driven. Does the Notre Dame staff share the same vision?
2: That, Ryan, is the million-dollar question. Yeah. I and mean, We can never know that, right? I mean, we're not in the minds of the coaches were only speculating. I would I mean I would
1: I think well, we can tell that
2: by how a yeah. staff plays out.
1: It's just sure. we're still kind of early in the staff, and the the results have been so inconsistent that it's really hard to tell with this staff.
2: Sure. We'll know in, in three I mean, years there'll be no question, Ryan. We'll know. Yes. Right. Yes. I, I think no, nothing that Marcus Freeman has said or done has made me believe that he is not process driven. Like I do think he's a process driven person. So I, I, I'm going to think that, Ray, right, like they have to have some kind of, you know, they have to have some understanding that like, hey, we still need to evolve, right? Like we can't just be this team and expect, you know, results to always come. Like we always, we still need to perfect our process to getting there. So I believe that they share the vision of there, that you need to be more process-driven to results-driven. I agree with that. Well, do we agree on what the process looks like? I think that's going to change, right? Like they're not definitely not going to agree with everything that we say or everything that we believe. They, they're going to have their own beliefs and their own understanding of what the roster looks like. But I, I do think that for the most part, most good coaches, which I think Notre Dame has a lot of, are going to be process versus results driven. I do believe that. Yep. Next question is from Keith Wiegand. Is Zay Flowers more – this is a
1: good question. Yeah. Is Zay Flowers more of an impact player than Josh
2: Downs? for Boston College, a hundred percent it. Cause if you told me I could have Josh Downs or I could have Zay flowers, I'd probably take Josh Downs. Cause I think Josh Downs is a more complete wide receiver. I think that he has a little more upside as a pure wide receiver, but for Boston college, I think it's, e- I think, well, for their team, I think it's easily Zay flowers, what he is for Boston college. Cause they ask him to do so many things, have so many different roles and, I mean, I like Jalen Gill. I think they have a couple of good wide receivers on the roster, but the the but if if North Carolina doesn't have Josh Downs, they're still a really good offense, right? They still are be able to score points and do stuff because they have guys like Drake May that can make up for guys maybe not playing as well or having less mm-hmm. have not having a Josh Downs in the lineup. But Boston College is a different animal, Brian. Like if they don't have mm-hmm. Zay Flowers, I'm like, man, that's that's. That's a huge loss. That's a gigantic loss. So I'm going to say for their team, Zay Flowers is more impactful. But I I don't know. The conversation between Jit Downs or Zay Flowers, I feel like there's no wrong answer there, really. Yeah, you're, you're, there's no wrong answer. It's personal preference at that point in time. I like Zay Flowers more
1: yeah. because mm-hmm. you say – I actually think Zay Flowers is more of a complete receiver simply because I think he, he does more, right? But that could mm-hmm. also be how he's used. You know, that's could also be system where Zay Flowers plays in a pro style system. Josh Downs plays in an air raid system. Maybe if the if the roles reverse, Josh Downs may be even better than Zay Flowers. For me, I like Zay Flowers better. I think he's more of an impact player because he's more of a downfield guy for me. And he can also do some of the stuff that Josh Downs does. So uh, that's why I say some of it's personal preference because they're used very differently. For their yes. team, respective teams, very differently. Josh yeah. Downs is kind of a volume guy in that system. Zay Flowers is not really a volume guy in the traditional sense. He's not going to catch 100 passes. He's going to catch like 70 for like 1,100 yards kind of thing. You know, right. Josh Downs is going to have 1,100 yards and catch 90 passes, You know, 95 mm-hmm. passes just from a usage standpoint. But it's one of those things where would you rather have Zay Flowers or Josh Downs? And my answer is yes. Like, I don't care. Give me one of them and I'm happy. I'll use them different, but they're both heck of a heck, really good football. It's kind of like back in 08. Who would you rather have, Julio Jones, Michael Floyd, or A.J. Green? And it's like, there's no wrong answer here. Like, there's literally not a wrong answer. They're all phenomenal and I'll take any of them. So good, good stuff, Ryan. 10 Day asks Question Do you think Brian Kelly called Marcus Freeman and congratulated him on beating Clemson? I highly <laughs> doubt it. Highly <laughs> doubt it. And I honestly think part of it is because Brian Kelly was too busy worrying about the fact that his team had just beat Alabama, right? I mean, I think that's what his focus is on. So, I mean, I actually don't even care if he called him. But even if I did care, I mean, I highly doubt it. I highly doubt it. I mean, they worked together for a year. It's not like they were – not even. They worked together for less than a year. It's not like they were best friends either. Not that there was any issue there. But it's not like – like let's say, you know, maybe he called Tommy – why? Well, because he coached Tommy and Tommy's been on his was on his staff for five years, you know. I mean, so it right. would make more sense. I don't care. I matter of fact, I don't want Brian Kelly calling Marcus Freeman. I don't want to give him any bad ideas. All right, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I just love tweaking the LSU fans. They're so they get so sensitive all the time. Uh, Michael says, hey, anybody, and I'll ask you this, Ryan. Anybody mm-hmm. other than Kyron Williams that uh, Aeneas Williams reminds you of? Are there any other comps that you like,
2: Ryan? Man, that's a tough one. Maybe – remember Devonta Freeman when he played with Florida State? I I can see a little bit of that just with the the balance that they have and that despite them not being the biggest backs in the world, they break a ton of tackles. They can be used in the pass game. Maybe something there, but I mean – it's tough to get the Kyron one out of your minds because because he actually, like he looks like him too, which is pretty wild. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's the Missouri thing, the all-purpose back thing, but I think Kyron is the most natural comp. You know, Ryan,
1: I have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we have other fans of other teams in our chat. We have Ladarius Martin's an Alabama fan, Archer's an Ohio yes. State fan. We have yeah. a USC fan in our chat, and he's been in here often. His name's Roger Dodger, and I've enjoyed his comments, but I'm on the verge of banning him. The reason uh, why is there's a weather thing popped up and Roger Dodger said it's really cold in SoCal, seven uh, degrees. That's just mean. That's just 70's mean, too, Roger. Seventies too hot. 70's that, too that's hot. just yes, that's just mean. That's just mean. Okay. That's just that's hurtful. That's meanwhile, really hurtful. meanwhile, it's it's 40 something today here in Jersey. So yeah, have fun, Roger. In the twenties and thirties with a lot of snow on the ground here. We had a little bit of a winter storm last <laughs> night. So Yeah, that's uh, that's messed up, Roger. I'm going to remember that, and I have a very good memory. So Robert Bishop says, if Arch, Dante, and Malachi weren't in this class, would Minchie be considered a five-star? Let me address this one quickly, Ryan. Your grade as a four- or five-star does not matter to me of how many kids are in the class. If there are 13 Mm -hmm. five-star quarterbacks in the class, then I'm going to grade out 13 five-star quarterbacks. If there's zero five-star quarterbacks in the class, then nobody grades out as a five-star. Now, the latter part, unfortunately, it's not really how the services do it. If you're the number one quarterback in the class, almost every year I believe that guy's going to get bumped up and get prioritized and become a five-star player. I have with Gunnar Keel. He was the Mm -hmm. best quarterback in what was a – at the time a pretty not very good quarterback class and so he got bumped up to five-star he was never a five-star quarterback uh so i don't personally don't i mean because you actually have more than i mean you've you've got nico's a five-star Jaden rashada has is a five-star by some people like there's there's chris Vazine is a top player he had a really rough senior year by the way i don't know if you've seen his film or not his numbers in his film was a senior was not very good um but anyway the point is I'm going to grade out the number of five star for me. Just I can only speak for myself, and and I believe Ryan is going to agree with me on this. It's kind of like the NFL draft. You don't grade out 32 first round players. There some years there's only 15 guys that grade out as first round players. So somebody's got going. I had, go the, I, had th- I only had 13 last year. So yeah, yeah to your
2: point. Yeah,
1: and so uh, but that you don't. So he's a first rounder. No, he's not. He got drafted in the first round, but he's not a first round talent. That's going to happen some years. Some years yeah. you're getting first round talents mid first mid second round just because of a deep year plus some teams had to go with need. So you draft a second round tight end and late in the first round because you have a desperate need and it's a bad tight end class or something like that. Right? So there's always that. And so you can get a first round talent in the second round. Uh, Other years, you're there's no way you're getting a first. If you're picking in the thirties, the 20 late twenties and thirties, the odds of you getting a first round talent, at least based off your grade, it's going to be pretty slim. Same thing in high school recruiting. I I wish that like I think two four seven like only gives like a certain number of five stars. I wouldn't do mm-hmm. that. Some years there's less yeah. than that, and you should grade less. Some years there's more than that. Um, I would say there's more years where there's less than that than years where there's more than that. But that's kind of how I view it. So he's not mm-hmm. a five star player to me. Uh, no. He's a very good player. He's a top hundred kid, but he's not he's not eighty first overall because of the depth of the quarterback class. Other than the fact that there's just guys ahead of him. He wouldn't all of a sudden jump up to 10th um, if there weren't as many quarterbacks. He would, right. you know, let's say you take the nine quarterbacks ahead of him. He would just jump up from 81st to 72nd would would, would be the thing. So that, that's my. But that's, Robert, it's a good question. It's a good question. But just the question. way we do it, it's a little bit different. Yep. Jonathan Fish says, you can make an argument with that, with a lack of depth of receiver and multiple running backs with diverse skill sets, 21 personnel should be the main part of our offense. Jonathan, I'm like a proud papa right now, like with this comment. <laughs> like I'm like, I'm like, yes, Jonathan. Like, yes, absolutely. Yes. Nailed it. <laughs> My son is wicked smart. You know, like that's what I feel right now. It's like, it's spot on,
2: right? It's spot on. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't get why Notre Dame doesn't see it. Uh, man, I don't. Just trying to force an identity, I think. I mean, it's it's it is a very troubling thing. Because I mean, Jonathan, you're 100 percent correct. I mean, Notre Dame is built upon running backs, tight ends being your essential playmakers of the offense. And for whatever reason, especially the running back part, I mean, Brian. I mean, Brian, the, the 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 maddening part of it is is that every time we've seen them use 21 personnel, I feel like it's worked every single time. Mm-hmm. Like, is it not That's the frustrating thing? That's the first. It's just worked. It's worked.
1: Yeah. Yep. That's the thing that drives me nuts. Is like it keeps working. Like, well, it only works because we only run it five times. Well, how do you know? How, let's try it out. <laughs> exactly. Let's exactly. try it out. Let's yeah. see if you run yeah. it twelve times, if they all of a sudden stop it. Let's give it a shot. <laughs> Robert Didoff asked Brian and Ryan, "What is the toughest part of the day for the team in regards to preparation when it is Senior Day?" I I don't. I think it's about balancing the. The stuff that look, there's no way you can avoid it being senior day because there's Mm -hmm. there's there's planning of who's going to be there. You know what family members are going to be there, making sure you have tickets for them. There's the the process you've got to go over the schedule for senior day. There's all types of extra festivities. It's about being able the toughest part of the day for me is being able to make sure that, hey, guys, when you're between these lines. When you're behind this, what fifty three and a third and a hundred and all that, that your focus is only on this. We'll we'll handle all that other stuff. We'll handle that when we get there. But here is it's on this. And then when you get in the stu- in the film room tonight, and you're in your dorm and you're studying, make sure that your focus is on that. And it's about the 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 challenge. Robert or Rob is trying to get the players to compartmentalize. And I think the better that you can compartmentalize those things, and this is true for football players, in my opinion, in general, especially to a place like Notre Dame, it, you need to try to be able to get them to compartmentalize as best as you can. That's a vital, important success, vitally important to success for Notre Dame and a lot of teams. John Leahy has a question. Any news on if J.D. Bertram will play? We have an article on the front page of Irish Breakdown's uh, website. Uh, at irishbreakdown.com where uh, Sean Styers re- relays uh, Mark- Coach Freeman's comments, and I'm going to read you what he wrote. Um, fellow linebacker J.D. Bertrand who missed the Navy game is quoting Marcus Freeman 100% a go. So this is why, John, you need to make sure you're checking out the website at irishbreakdown.com because we will have stuff like this all the time. So, yes, he is expected to play tomorrow, which is going to be big. And I really think it was just precautionary keeping him out on Saturday. He did say also, just to kind of update everybody on the on the news, that Brandon Joseph is doubtful on Saturday. And I think that's smart. There's no reason to play him, in my opinion, this week. You've got the depth at safety to to, to win this game. You need to get him healthy for next week. He said that uh, Jack Kaiser is probable. And in that article, he also gave updates on Tyler Buckner, Kane Barong, Aiden Kanaana, Jaden Bellamy, and Will Schweitzer. So you're going to want to check those out. Next question is from Robert Bishop. A lot of talk from my OU friends is Dylan Gabriel is coming back next year. Do you think Jackson Arnold will beat him out? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, you know, look, is it possible that they give the job to give the job? I don't mean that as harshly as it sounds. Is it possible maybe they give the job to Jackson Arnold next year if Dylan Gabriel gets hurt? Maybe. But honestly, one of the biggest head scratchers for me this year when it came to Oklahoma's offense is why they were so unwilling to give Nick Evers a chance to play. I think he's a very talented kid. He was a top 100 player last year. And they it's like they were just willing to lose to teams rather than let him play. If Dylan Gabriel Goat comes back, will they give Nick Evers a shot to beat him out? I don't know. Are they going to give Jackson Arnold a shot to beat him out? I don't know. All I know is if Nick Evers jumped in a transfer portal, I would give him a look. And and it's not he's not typically what I'm looking for, Ryan. I'm looking for an experienced guy that can come in. That kid's really talented. And I think you almost kind of have to like, oh, we need to at least explore this possibility um, for Notre Dame. There's other schools flat out that you're like, yeah, take that kid. Let him sit for a year behind so-and-so veteran. And then next year, we're, that kid's going to have a shot to be a dude for us because that kid's very talented. And I just I'm, I'm puzzled. I'm puzzled by a lot of things that Jeff Levy has done this year, to be completely honest with you. I've been very underwhelmed by the job that he has done as the offensive coordinator for Ole Miss this
2: year, Ryan. I, I agree with that. I, because I, I, I know a lot of people were excited about him coming over from Ole Miss, being Lane's guy type of thing. And it's been a little mm-hmm. head scratching in a lot of ways. So let me ask you, Brian. It, so, in a vacuum, obviously different classes, did you grade Evers out higher than you grade Jackson Arnold out? As far as, oh, player? yes. Oh yes. yeah. Now, yeah.
1: Jackson Arnold is more accomplished as a high school player partly because of where he's from, but I sure. graded Nick Evers out as a top 100 player. I've I've Jackson Arnold as a borderline top 150 guy. I mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. and a lot of that has to do with with production. Like his actual skill grades for me don't grade out super well. They really yeah. don't. I'm not a, I'm not on the Jackson Arnold train and I could be completely wrong. And you know, honestly, I don't mind when kids I don't mind kids, even kids in other school, prove to me that they're better than I thought they were. I don't ever root against sure. kids unless they're bad kids, and I've never heard a thing about Jackson Arnold being a bad guy. I've only ever heard that he's a good kid, well liked, you know, good teammate and yeah. all that. I just don't think he's that good, you know. But seems like a really good kid from everybody I talk to. He's a good kid and all that. It's just I just don't think he's that good of a quarterback. So I want to make sure that I'm clear on that. So, uh, and and what I'm saying is I would only ever kind of root against the kid if he's just not a good kid, and that's not the case for Jackson Arnold. So. I hope he does right. well. I, I just don't see it, right? I just don't see it with him. So, yes, Nick Evers I, I definitely, for me, is a more talented kid.
2: Yeah, I was just mostly curious because I've never I I've never really seen Nick Evers play. So, I was just curious yeah. about how what his skill level is because yeah. he's more of a dual he threat was,
1: kid, right? Uh, to a degree. I mean, he can run, but he's more yeah. of a passer. He's more of a kid gotcha. that can can throw it. Yeah. He was originally committed to Florida, and then, obviously, he decommitted when that staff uh, mm-hmm. got blown mm-hmm. up. But, uh, I mean, he he's a – He's a a kid that can run for sure. And he would have fit Dan Mullen's offense, but he's not a guy that I would say is a, is a runner. He's not like Avery Johnson. I think sure. dual threat was, is a fine way to put it. He's just not that he's mm-hmm. not that, but could he right. be a guy that can go out and run for 400, f- four or 500 yards? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Uh, nice. But also go past for 3000. So that's what mm-hmm. I liked about him. Uh, yeah. Love it. That's what I liked about him. Absolutely. Next question from John long. Actually, we already answered that one earlier. Brent Smith said Houston Griffith should be taking the majority of the snaps of safety. He's quietly had a nice year. He's always assignment sound and lines up properly. Uh, part of this, uh, I, I agree with the sentiment that Brent gives Ryan. I think part of the thing though, is part of Houston's success this year has been because he's been given a very specific role and yes. he's really good at that role. And, yep. and we saw that from DJ Brown early when DJ Brown was asked to play a very specific role. He's pretty good as he's had to play more snaps and have an expanded role. He's had more problems. I think that's where the depth has helped. And I don't know if if all of a sudden, given Houston, the, the, the large amount of snaps would necessarily result in him doing what he's doing in more
2: reps. I think that might yeah. then expose him to some of the areas where he hasn't been as good. Thoughts? I, I think for me, Brian, I think Houston Griffith is a very good number three safety, right? Like, yep. I think that's what he is. I don't think we have to force him into be something he's not. He's done a... I mean, Brent, to your point, he's been a very solid player this year. There's no doubt. Personally... I would like to see Xavier Watts a lot more than we have, right? Like we saw him a lot against Navy for the specific role that he runs, but I would just like to see him more in general. And again, I just don't make Houston something he's not. I think he's Mm -hmm. doing a nice job being a contributor, being that third safety. I don't necessarily see him as a full-fledged starter, ideally. I just don't see that. I agree. You have a super chat from Garth
1: Cassidy down here. Brian, how many of each position would be ideal in your mind for an 85-man class? How many quarterbacks and running backs, et cetera? You know, I'd have to really kind of go through and specifically give you the numbers. Just kind of off the top of my head, the ranges. I want four to five quarterbacks on my roster. Four is the ideal number. We're basically averaging a quarterback a year is kind of where I would want to be. I think you can get by with three if it's the right three and you have a good walk on. But yeah. I, you know, cause again, it's not always just about playing. It's also about what kind of player are you throwing down there with your scout team to give your defense a look every week as part of the equation too. running back. I'm five to six Uh receiver. I'm uh, you know about 10 is, is kind of re- really where I want to be tight end five, is where I like offensive line. I like a solid three deep. So 15 to 18 is the target number there. 18 being I've got a lot of older kids and a lot of younger kids. So I'm going to lose four or five kids this off season and then have some younger kids to kind of step up into the mix. I don't want a, I don't want 18 with a very heavy fifth senior and junior class. Cause then you start to run into some, some, some numbers where you're going to lose some kids to to finishing their careers. And then you're going to transfer and all of a sudden you're with like 11 the next year, defensive line 14 to 16 is kind of where I'm at minimum, linebacker, 8 to 10, corner, 8, safety, 8, and then two specialists is really where I'm going to be. Uh, that's just kind of where I'm at. And and the specialists for me are kicker and punter. I'm not a huge fan of offering a scholarship to long snappers just because there's so many. There's there, you know, Give me a Michael Vinson. Walk on kid. You never hear about Michael. Two years he's been a long snapper. You never hear the kid's name. Mentioned ever. Yeah.
2: And he and might, exactly he might end up where playing. You want a long, yeah. Go ahead. He might, he might not, and me, he might end up playing in the NFL too, which is pretty wild. He may end I, up I don't cool. know about the athletic traits that go into being a, a, a snapper in the NFL, but I'll tell you this
1: that kid gets that sucker back there accurately and quickly every yep. single time. Right. And you, you want your, you want, how is the joke? You want your long snapper to be kind of like your then umpire. Right, You don't ever want to hear his name called. If you're hearing, uh, hearing his name called, then that's a problem. right? And Michael Vinson has been – I mean, honestly, Notre Dame's had some really good snappers the last 10, 15 years. I mean, Scott Daly's still in the NFL. J.J. Jansen's still in the NFL. I don't know if I remember anyone being as just consistent as Michael Vinson. I, I don't know about like the miles per hour or all that <laughs> other kind of stuff, but I'm just about putting that ball right on the money, snap after snap after snap he's as every bit as good as those other guys I don't know if the athleticism translates to being able to cover if that's important to people I don't I don't have an answer to that that's your department Ryan but from a sheer snapping consistency and and just getting that ball back there quick and accurately this is one of the best I've seen at Notre Dame in a long time when it comes to just pure snapping I don't know what you what your thoughts are on that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've I've literally have seen him already get a couple uh, All Star game invites, not to like the Senior Bowl or anything yet, but he's gotten like a couple lower level All Star game invites. So I think he's has guy that's on the NFL radar. So I mean, that, that, I mean, that just asserts your opinion, though, right? It's mm-hmm. we're talking about a former walk on long snapper that's probably going to get an, an NFL look. Is he going to last? Mm-hmm. Who, who knows? But regardless a kid that you didn't have to put on scholarship early that has outplayed where you originally anticipated and a kid that you didn't have to put on scholarship in the beginning which says everything you need to talk about and that's the situation absolutely
1: absolutely all right so that's a a good uh so that's about where i'm at garth and and that's going to get me somewhere in the 85 range maybe a little less a little fewer it's going to vary from year to year depending on youth and all those type of things but that's kind of where I'm at. Brent Smith asks Brian, "What's the Jaden Lamar status?" So we update that on the board. That's definitely something that I want to keep behind a paywall, Brent. Uh, with all due respect, so I did want to just let you know that we do have an update on Jaden Lamar on the message board. Yesterday, I did put one in, and someone asked about where things stand with the current commits, and I gave an update on where I think stands things stand with Jaden Lamar. So we're going to keep that one behind uh, behind the paywall. Archer four five two said the Outland semifinalists were Schmitz from Minnesota. He's an offensive lineman, correct? Center, Avila yep. from TCU center, uh, Carter from D- Georgia's D lineman, Paris Johnson Jr. from Ohio State, uh, Kansi from Pitt, Ola Watimi from Michigan, Skaranci from Northwestern. No Notre Dame player on the list. Who would you add and who would you remove? So the the Outland is basically any offensive lineman, and then essentially an interior defensive lineman, which now basically includes you know, most three, four DNs and interior players, I believe. Yeah. Ryan, I I, look, I would, I have a hard time with Joe Walt thinking Joe shouldn't be on that list, but I honestly can't say that I've seen enough of Schmitz and Avila and Cancy to Mm -hmm. say they should or should not be on the list. I have no problem with Karansky being on there. Oluwotimi has been excellent this year. Jalen Carter's very good. Paris Johnson's been very good. So I I honestly can't say that I've seen enough of those guys to sit here and pound the table and say Joe Walt should be on this list. I I can't. And it would be unfair to me to do so.
2: I I think we can agree, though, that it would be Joe Walt if we had a a pick, right? Um, He'd be the only one that I would consider. Yes. The only one. I agree with that. I would say this. John Michael Schmitz from – which is a great name, by the way. I just think of John Michael Jinger. Yeah, you know, from Minnesota is the best center in college football. So he's – I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I just had to. John Michael Schmitz, though, is a fantastic player. Probably the best center in college football, in my opinion. Steve Avila is a really good – he's been a center for TCU. Now he's playing guard this year. Good football player. I think that's probably the player that I look at and say, like, if there's a guy that's coming off the list – Probably Steve Avila, but again, I'm not going to argue against him too much. Jalen Carter, I mean, everybody knows Jalen Carter, right? Fantastic player. Parrish Johnson Jr. has been very good for Ohio State. Kalijah Kansi not having a good year as he did last year. He's still a very good D tackle from Pitt, but he's another guy. If, I guess it would probably be between Steve Avila and Kansi for me if there's a guy that you're going to take off this list. Yeah. But, yeah, that's just where I My right My surprise is
1: that there's only two defensive players on this list. That was the thing that surprised me a little bit. Yeah. Uh, especially when everybody talks about how bad of a tackle class it is. But I'll say this right now. Mm-hmm. the uh, I've been very down in the Big Ten, and I think mm-hmm. the offenses in the Big Ten for the most part stink. I think that's why there's so many good defenses. And if you're listening via the podcast, I'm doing air quotes right now when I say good defenses uh, is because the offenses stink. But I'll say this. It is, sent, it is the conference for centers this year. Yes. And yep. it's not just these two kids, but Luke Whipler for Ohio State's a very good center. There's several really good centers in the Big Ten this year Uh, to where – to say that you're the best center in the Big Ten isn't saying something because there's some Michigan fans who would have a a right to argue with you that Ola Matimi could be the best center in college football. And they're both excellent. I mean, they're both excellent. He's really helped. I actually think the Michigan line is playing a little better than they did last year. Now, part of it's competition. They haven't played really any good defenses, but they're playing at a very high level, and he's a big part of that. Because they mm-hmm. they upgraded at center. The kid last year was a really tough, smart, heady kid, but not all a real player. talented kid. This kid's sure. an NFL player, in my opinion, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm not saying he's like a first round pick NFL player. But that kid's an all of a team. He's an he's NFL player. player. I I studied him last year at Virginia. He was clearly their best lineman last year, and putting him around other good players has raised his game up because he doesn't have to carry the load the way he did at Virginia last year. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yep. so uh, he's a really good football player. Uh, but it's definitely – the Big Ten has some very good offensive linemen this year, but I just think part of it has to do – the fact is there's just not a lot of good – there's just there's just not a lot of good, like, uh, explosive offenses in the Big Ten this year, but there's some good offensive linemen in the Big Ten this year. There really is. Mm-hmm. There yep. really is. Like, if you would have taken Avila off and put in Luke Whipler, I, I probably would have argued that a little bit, but not vehemently. I mean that's how yeah. good the center play in the Big Ten is this year. Uh, so, but uh, again, I don't know enough about Avila, Schmitz, and Kansi to say so. To
2: say otherwise. where's where's all the uh, USC offensive linemen? I heard they have a. I know, right? Where's Andrew right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's
1: Bray Nalon, get him good on the question. Exactly, yeah. good question. All right, Jason Rose with a question: If both Hart and Joseph stay, a secondary of those two plus Morrison and Bowen would be nutty. You'd also have It'll Clarence Lewis coming back. <laughs> right yes. as as a as a depth guy you have Jaden mickey going into year two i'd expect him to improve uh, you're gonna have xavier watts coming back as mm-hmm. as part of that rotation ramon henderson coming back as part of that rotation notre dame could have a truly elite secondary next year if those two kids come back and get anywhere close to their form of past years yes. because morrison is a dude peyton bowen to me is a year one starter in my opinion mm-hmm. i think he's that good mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah it would be very interesting very yep. interesting. That's a lot of
2: dynamic ability on that back end, too, with oh, that, when yes. that, that force Oh some
1: <laughs> yes. Yep, yep. Here, here's the next one we have uh, from Joel Easton. Joel Easton says, Lucky Lefty Pod was talking about something similar regarding roster management. Should Notre Dame hire a full-time GN to manage the roster for coaches? They kind of do, and that's kind of mm-hmm. the role that Chad Bowden plays. I mean, he's got to be the one that's that's aware of, hey, I know you want another defensive tackle, but we can't bring in another defensive tackle. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's kind of the role he plays. And I think if they were to give him that officially to give him more money and make sure he stays, I'd be all aboard on that. All aboard on that. I don't look the Notre Dame coaching staff has done a great job. I don't think people realize how much how important Chad Bowden is to this class. I think yes. they're probably a six to seven overall class if he's not here because of Freeman and some others. But they're top three because he's also part of that. He's played yes. a huge role in what they do recruiting-wise. Every, every, and every it, recruit mentions Chad, man. Everyone mentions Chad. Yep. Every single one. No yep. question about it. Here's a good one from Jason Rose. Hey, guys, who is one young player on each side of the ball that presents the most superstar upside if they hit their ceiling? So Ryan – for this, we'll go young players. We'll say any first- or second-year player currently on the roster. So any freshman mm-hmm. or sophomore or redshirt freshman currently on the So not redshirt sophomores. Any guy that's in his second-year in Notre Dame who's the one player on each side of the ball that presents the most superstar upside
2: if they hit their ceiling. I mean, I would say offensively, it's between Tobias Merriweather and Blake Fisher for me. I think that those are oh. the two guys, right? I mean, oh. because, I mean, Joe Wall already is – almost a super superstar, right? Like a budding superstar, but we've always had the conversation of if Blake hits a ceiling versus Joe Wall hits their ceiling, then it's probably Blake, right? I mean, like that's, he's got such a massive upside at six six, three thirty, 30 with the athleticism he has the strength he has. So I would say it's between Tobias for what we've seen. We haven't seen a ton of him, obviously this year, when we have, it's been dynamic. We've seen the, the potential that he has, but then you always also have Blake Fisher on the offensive side of the football. So I would say it's between those two defensively I guess I would go Benjamin Morrison with where we are right now I mean because you've seen it already in spurts right? Like you've seen that type of upside and the ability that he has so I don't really know if there's a guy I still go Jalen
1: Steed for me Jalen Steed still for me yeah because
2: I love Benjamin Morrison but
1: Jalen Steed if if this is what the question was if they hit their ceiling even mm-hmm. in the Navy game, he didn't often know what he's doing, but you could just see that dude moves way different than everybody else. So yeah. I'm 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 going there. I think if if everybody hits their stride, Benjamin Morrison is a late first round pick and mid to mid to late first round pick and Jalen Sneeds a top 15 pick. You know, wow. I mean that like that kind of thing. Like, you know, just using that as an example. I'm not saying yeah. again direct, I'm just trying to use that as an example. Uh, you know, he's, he's got elite tools. Now, again, yes, what we've seen this year, that year, I don't need to see a guy play in college a ton to know the tools are there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we did the scouting of him in high school. We saw him, we've seen him do some things at Notre Dame athletically. I still feel like if he reaches his full potential, he's a star. I mean, he's a, he, he, he could be a Jeremiah Wusu type of impact football player if he hits his full potential. That's a big question, right? But like, we saw Jeremiah Wusser was a freshman. I mean, yeah. we saw it, right? I mean, you could say this kid was like a buck 95. He's got to put a lot of weight. But you could just see, like, this kid moves at a different a different way than other people. And Jalen's a bigger version of what Jeremiah was as a freshman and, he, and faster. They're very similar athletically explosiveness-wise. Uh, Jalen's definitely faster. Now, the question is, here's the question. Does Jalen have the football instincts that Jeremiah had? That's going to be the question. That's going to be the question. So we'll have to see how that is. All right. Uh, I love this comment from Archer. Sean Clifford is the number three pass in the conference, going 174 for 280 for 2,184 yards, 17 touchdowns, and seven picks. That tells you how bad QB plays in the league. And he's absolutely right. Absolutely right. right. Absolutely right. And then, uh, we did, we did have a, we had a couple questions about the draft, Ryan. We're going to hold off on those. That's going to be something we'll yeah. discuss. We'll have a lot of draft stuff after the season. Uh, Ryan is going to be able to talk, to talk to all the, his agent people that he knows and scouts and, and stuff. So we'll have plenty of, plenty of, um, uh, draft stuff, uh, because mm-hmm. anything we would say right now, like definitively, because the question was like, where will Zach Jarrett Patterson goes? It's too early to be talking about that. Let's, Let's get yeah. through the rest of the season. Let's get through the, you know, the bowl game or the, the senior bowl and, or the shrine game, whichever one he's invited to. Has he been invited to? He's probably not going to get invited. To senior. He, bowl, do you think?
2: He has gotten an invite to one of those. I'm not allowed to mm-hmm. say it though. because okay. It hasn't been disclosed as public information. So the point, but he'll,
1: he'll get one. Yes. He'll, he'll, yes. he'll end up as long as he's healthy, he'll play in one of those is what I mean. So uh, let's see how he does in those. Right. But, you know, but he also has a chance to finish the season really strong. That'll help as well, yes. in my opinion. No doubt. And then um, here, here's one, because uh, Ivers for Life is also also pulls for Indiana football. And he says, hoping you can answer this, who would you suggest as a replacement head coach for Indiana? It would have to be someone they could actually get and, and would be able to win at Indiana. Do you have any names mm-hmm. in mind? I mean, I don't know if I could specifically name any names. I could give you a type. I think one guy that would be very intriguing for me. If I was the AD at Indiana, one guy mm-hmm. that I guarantee you I would be bringing in for some sort of initial conversation, whether it's official interview or not, I'm, people might laugh at this, you know, cause he's never been a coordinator or whatever. I would seriously look long and hard at Dylan McCullough. I would. And uh- there's two reasons for it. Number one, three reasons for it. Number one, he understands Indiana. He's been a part of some successful Indiana teams and he has recruited very well. He's a good talent evaluator. He can go find those diamond in the rough players. Right. Like I know like Jordan Howard was a transfer and all that, but Tevin, uh, Tevin, Tevin Coleman, Coleman wasn't
2: Yeah. right. Yeah.
1: He was a kid that they got out of high school. So he's, and he's, he's, he's a really good recruiter. He knows the state of Indiana. He can recruit the state of Indiana. He can recruit the areas around the state of Indiana. He's got the kind of dynamic personality in my opinion, that will allow him to kind of recruit the Southern kids as well. You know, and and um, I just don't think being a coordinator is necessarily a, should be an automatic prerequisite for being a head coach. There's all the other traits to it, in my opinion. So I think that's number one. Number two, uh, the recruiting is number two. And then number three, he's 49 years old. The yeah. odds of him saying, I'm going to use this to springboard me to some other big time job may not be there. I think he he wants to be head coach. He's never hidden that fact part of the reason he came to Notre Dame and he said so publicly, Indiana is the kind of job to me where I could see him saying, you know what, I'm going to be happy here. I know my family likes it here. I, you know, look, yes. I'm going to be here 10, 12 years and and do the best I can and, and try to win here. And it's not really like, hey, I'm going to do this to springboard me to go get a job at, uh, you know, um, I don't know, Ohio State or something like that, right? I mean, I mm-hmm. could see him being a guy that – looks at this and says yeah this is a this is a pretty good deal for me you
2: know and, and, I and can everyone see keeps spec everyone keeps speculating his son the Desha- sean entering the transfer portal too that'd be the ultimate yeah. uh get Deshaun <laughs> the sean back if the head coach too yep. so it's funny. yeah that's not it's not yep. bad though i mean when you think about it brian because like you said it's not a prerequisite that you have to be a coordinator like you don't have to be in Right. He knows that program like he does and he's done well mm-hmm. at that program. he's produced some good talent at that program and the role that he's had and the, the program's also familiar with him, which is I mean I think they would have some trust in him and the character that he has and the coach that he is. so it's an interesting one. I don't, I don't really have another I don't really have any good ones, so that's, yeah. a, that's a really interesting one though I like the problem is let's say you go get some FCS guy that's a
1: really good coach. The right. odds are pretty good that he's going to come there, and if he wins, he's going to use that to then get him a better job. Yes. You know, like Lance Leopold. Lance Leopold did not go to Buffalo thinking, I'm going to live the rest of my life in Buffalo. Just like he didn't go to Kansas thinking, I'm going to live the rest of my life in Lawrence, Kansas. I could see Dylan McCullough knowing where he's from. He's a blue-collar kid, grew up blue-collar, Eastern, you know, Mm -hmm. born in Pennsylvania. We all know the story. Born in PA, grew up in Ohio, went to Miami, Ohio as a player. He's a Midwest kid. You yeah. know, I think he, I, you know, again, I don't know what kind of coach you could be, but I, I would be very intrigued because there's a lot of traits that I see in him that make me say, and he's an, he's an energy guy, but he's a, he's also a very, um, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. He's not your typical assistant coach. That's a great mm. recruiter, the high energy guy and the ball of, you know what I mean? Like he's a pretty calm dude. That's very serious. And, and like, I think that translates pretty well to being a head coach, but he can also get, yeah. you know, he can also get fired up when he needs to, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I just, I just think he comes across as that kind of guy to me. I could be wrong. I, I don't, I don't know directly what kind of coach he is because I've never been in a practice he's coach or anything like that. And, but I'm just, I see a lot of attributes that make me think, man, if I'm Indiana, I'd be really interested in that guy because if you can find a guy that can get you turned around, and maybe keep a while, but that's hard for a place like Indiana to find. And I think Dean McCullough has some of those attributes, you know, and maybe he leaves for another job. I could really see him getting to Indiana, loving it, and being like, we're going to build this thing. I I could see that. I would not shock me if Dean McCullough went to Indiana and did that. I would not be shocked. Now, with that being said, selfishly for me, for Brian Driscoll, I hope that colleges treat Dillon McCullough like they treat Tony Alford and just don't give him that shot to be head coach, selfishly. And that's very mm-hmm. disrespectful to Coach McCullough because it's taken away what he wants to be. But at least for a couple more years, <laughs> I hope that that's the case. And then some in two years, somebody wakes up and's like, hey, we got to give this guy a shot. That's what I hope. But at least for the next couple of years, I'm not going to lie to you, I would not be upset if selfishly he gets passed over for head coaching jobs because I want to see what this running back room could look like with Dylan McCullough recruiting it for three years. You know what I mean? And then it's like, okay, coach, here's your head coaching job. Hey, next guy, don't screw this up. You know what (laughs) I mean? Um, Because I really feel like this team, if they can make some some tweaks on the staff, and really there's a couple spots away, but I was talking about this with somebody the other day. You can make a case that Notre Dame has a top five coach at his position at running back, Mm -hmm. offensive line, Mm -hmm. secondary, and special Mm -hmm. teams there's not a lot of teams you could argue have have four coaches that are amongst the five best of their position and some of the guys we left off like Jared Parker I just don't know enough about his body of work and you know let I think we're gonna learn a lot more about Jared Parker next year without Michael Mayer than we will this year it's just hard to really because he inherited a kid who's already pretty flipping good you know what I mean and there's been some injuries and so it's like Mitchell Evans is hurt, Kane Barong has been hurt, Eli Rarity got hurt. It's really hard to properly evaluate Jared Parker as a tight ends coach this year. Sure. You know, and and uh you know, so so but at least four, if you can make some tweaks here and there to this staff, if you can keep the majority and you've got one of the five best recruiting coordinators in college football as well. Oh, yes. Yep. And 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 I would argue already one of the five best recruiting head coaches, just what he's done already. You can do some things if you can just make some tweaks and keep that party. If you can keep that core part together as long as possible, you're going to you're going to see this roster transformed in a hurry. So Mm -hmm. that's me being selfish about Coach McCullough. If I take myself away and I'm not a Notre Dame fan trying to do what's best for Notre Dame and I'm an Indiana person, I would he'd be one of my first calls. He would absolutely be one of my first calls. There's no question about it. I don't know if you have an, if you wanted to add to that or not, Ryan.
2: No, I think it's interesting. I never really thought about it, and I don't have any other names to really throw into the into the weeds. But I think it makes a lot of sense from a lot of different vantage points, which is interesting, very interesting.
1: All right, we're gonna wrap up this last one right here right? Cause we got to get running here. Uh, here's a question yeah. from Seek and Destroy. I love, I love the way he builds the ND into that. Brian and Ryan, yep. would you grade Minchie out as a top 15 QB
2: in this class, Ryan? So you oh, want to yes.
1: take a first yes. crack at
2: that? Absolutely. I mean, look, we, we, me and Brian have talked about this adamantly, especially with the senior film. I think he's a top hundred player in this class. And I know it's a loaded quarterback group, but Outside of the the usual suspects up top that we talk a lot about, you know, the Malachi Nelsons and Dante Morris of the world, I think that there is a somewhere quarterback five, quarterback six to ten. I think that you have a legitimate argument that Kenny Minchie fits somewhere into that fray. I really do. I think that he is a extremely talented kid. I think he understands how to play the position. I think he's a top 100 recruit in the, in the 2020, 2023 class, excuse me, in my opinion. So, I mean, for me, Brian, I think it's a no-brainer. I say yes. Top 15 quarterback in this class, without a doubt, in my opinion. And if you're in the top 10 in this class, Ryan, you're pretty good. is this yes. a,
1: Like, what I'll say about this quarterback class is this quarterback class does not have the pure top-level talent of, like, the 2018 class with mm-hmm. Trevor Lawrence. There's no Trevor Lawrence in this class Justin as Field, a prospect. Right, Justin right. Fields, who had just insane physical tools. Right, it's yes. just really good guys, top to yep. bottom. Like mm-hmm. my thoughts on Dante is Dante Moore, who was my number one quarterback coming to the year. Now I got I, my opinion is based off coming into the season. I've not watched all the senior films, so I've not regraded quarterbacks. I will, we will in December. We'll regrade everything after the All Star games because we'll be at the All Star games. And I think that's all part of the evaluation process. So we'll have plenty of time to watch all the film, look at the go to the All Star games, and of course the All Star games are at the bottom of the list of where a guy grades. If a guy, if we think a guy's really good and he doesn't do much at the All Star game, it's not going to really swing his grade a whole lot. It's more for I just want to see kids in person and see him move around in person, that kind of thing. Right. But uh, you know, it was more about it's college projection. What I'm saying is like there's not that guy that look and say, man, that guy is a no brainer. As long as things go well, he's going to be the number one overall pick, which is exactly what we thought about Trevor Lawrence coming out. There's not right. that kind of number one in this class, but there's a lot of really good, like that kid's going to be a really good college football player type of guys. And then there's some other guys like Jaden Rashad, who's more about upside than he is, necessarily is about, you know, ready to go right this second. Nico, I had Kenny thing. Minchie. Yes, yep. exactly. I had Kenny Minchie eighth, and I had him as the number 81 player in the country. And eighth coming in in this class is pretty good. Now that may change. He may drop down a couple spots. He may go up a couple spots depending on it. But I can't say for sure because there's just some guys I have. I haven't watched Dylan Dylan Lonergan senior film. I haven't watched Eli Holstein's senior film. I haven't watched Ricky Collins senior film. I haven't watched JJ Cole senior film. I haven't watched Dante senior film. I haven't watched Jaden Rashada senior film. There's a lot of kids I haven't seen yet, but based on prior to their senior years, I had Kenny Minchie 81st overall in the number eight quarterback in the class. So that's, that's where I have him right now. So, yeah. And I think he's also a great fit for Notre Dame. Yes, he is. So that's a on and off the field. So that's going to do it for today's show. Everybody, thank you all so much for being with us today. It was a great questions. You guys have really, you know, we're in November. We're in that crunch time Mm -hmm. of the season. And I got to say, uh, our, uh, our people are, they're, they're in their November best. They're, they're bringing it. The questions we've got this week, uh, last week as well, have been really, really, really excellent. So you all keep up the great work. Hit that like button, everybody. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Everybody pray that it's cold and rainy in Los Angeles so that Roger Dodger can no longer rub it in our face about oh, how nice the weather is out in California. We appreciate you, Roger. It's all in, all in good fun. Um, sign up for the message boards, everybody. At boards.irishbreakdown.com. I promise you it's worth it. You will love it. You'll enjoy the community. You'll get great intel. we we'll have great football discussion. Absolutely love uh, the community we've built as well. Get Built Bars, everybody. 10% off. Use the promo code Irish Breakdown, And, of course, check out our website at irishbreakdown.com. So, for Ryan, I'm Brian. You all have a great rest of your week, and we will see you uh, tomorrow, 1 o'clock. There's a show tonight. Sean will be uh, – has IB Nation Sports Talk tonight. Ryan, I'll be back to have predictions tomorrow and then preview the big games. So, Roger Dodger, you're going to definitely want to be part of tomorrow's show because we're going to preview USC, UCLA for sure, preview Oregon-Utah, all the top games in the weekend – and then Saturday, ten to noon, you'll have Vince and Sean. We'll have the IB countdown to kickoff. And then Saturday night, Saturday, yeah, it'll probably be close to night after the game. We will have our post game show. So definitely want to check that out as well. Horana, Brian, y'all are y'all are you? Stay with us. We love you. We'll talk to you soon on the Irish Breakdown podcast.